Today's reading uh, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, and you will find that on page 983 of your Pew Bibles. 983, chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, It's good to be back after a little break, feeling all refreshed and uh, excited to be preaching to you again. Uh, We may be getting some stuff on the screen. We may not. Look at that. We have. Praise God. That will help with one picture, particularly in particular and hopefully some other stuff as well. Um, let's have a word of prayer before we, uh, before we think about what God wants to say to us this morning. Uh, Father, we pray in line with the psalmist that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things out of your word. Lord, please show us the Lord Jesus. Please be speaking to each and every one of us this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Great. Well, we live in a world where... You're Decisions have to be made on a daily basis. And I reckon everybody probably sat here this morning has made at least three big decisions today. Firstly, when you woke up, you are going to decide what are you going to have for breakfast. And we're going to have cereal, maybe just a bit of toast, maybe go for the full English. This is an important decision to start your day, isn't it? First important decision. Second important decision, you're probably going to decide what you're going to wear. Are you going to come to church sort of casual, smart, smart casual, chinos, jeans, you know, clothes decisions are important as well. And thirdly, how are you going to get to church? Are you going to walk? Are you going to drive? Are you going to get on one of those space hoppers from the 70s and bounce down Holmes Avenue? You know, there are these important decisions that need to be made. And I reckon most people here have made at least those three this morning. Um, Do come and tell me if you arrived on a space hopper, though. That would be great. I'd love to see that, particularly as you try and make it back up the hill towards the windmill. Um, but, But what I'm trying to say is we make decisions all the time, don't we? We make decisions all the time. We get presented with different possibilities, and we have to make a decision about them. But actually, some decisions are even more important than how we're going to get to church, what we're going to wear, and what we're going to have for breakfast. I mean, for example, uh, you may be sitting here this morning thinking, is it right for me to get married? Who am I going to get married to? Do I want to be married? Or maybe, and this is certainly true for some of our young people, when I get my A-level results through, do I want to go on to uni or do I want to go straight into work? Or maybe I want to have a gap here. You're presented with these different options and you've got to make a decision. 
Or what about for, I know for some of you, how do I best support my, my aging parent or, or family relative who needs more care than I can give? These are all decisions that, that at the end of the day have to be made, whether we want to make them or not. We can't just pretend they don't exist. We need to make decisions. Why is it then that so many people fail to come to a clear decision about who Jesus is then? Do you ever wonder that? Why so many people fail to come to a a clear decision? There's, There's just so many possibilities and they're not quite sure about who Jesus is. Arguably the most significant person to ever walk this earth. As important as those other decisions are, they are not as important as you coming to a clear decision about who Jesus is, are they? There is no question that is greater or more pressing than the one that Jesus asks here in this passage that you read out. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because the way that you answer that question will affect firstly things, things now in the present and in the life we're living now, but also the choice that you make and the decision that you make about who you say Jesus is, not only will affect who you're living for, but will have an impact all the way into eternity. In 10,000, 100,000, in a million years' time, that decision will have a bearing on where you are and who you are with. There's no greater decision to be made then, is there? I hope we all see that. But before we get to that that question that Jesus asked, um, I think it's helpful if we understand a little bit about where Jesus is with his disciples when he asks this question. Now, if you look down in verse 13 of the passage, if you've closed your Bibles, please open them back up to page 983 to chapter 16 of Matthew and look at verse 13. Let me read it. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now we've got a picture of a part of it here. Caesarea Philippi was a town right up in the north of Israel, one of the, the, probably the furthest north that Jesus went in his earthly life. And actually it could be quite a troubling place to be if you were a believing Jew. There's one point where this, near where this photo is taken, where, where the river Jordan, the river that runs all the way through Israel, through the Sea of Galilee and down into the Dead Sea, that that's where the river Jordan begins. And, and, and near there, as you can see in this picture, there were these shrines, these shrines everywhere to all these different pagan gods. And it had been like that for, for many hundreds of years There'd been a shrine to, to Baal, the, the, the Canaanite uh, god, hundreds of years ago, and to Pan, the, the Greek god. And in Jesus' time, there was probably a temple, or at least a shrine to Zeus, the, the, the king of the Roman gods. So you can imagine how these disciples, if you were a faithful, believing Jew, how you would have felt standing amongst all these idols, amongst all these shrines. It would have been a scary place to be. I mean, you look around and there's this physical displays of idolatry everywhere. Surrounded by all these reminders of people who are worshipping other gods than the living God. If you were to choose anywhere to make a stand and to declare what you believe in, this has got to be one of the toughest, surely. 
You're not surrounded by people who all believe the same. You're surrounded by visual images that show you that the world believe a lot. The world believes a lot of different things. People believe and people practice a lot of different things. Well, let's let's fast forward that uh, 2,000 years ahead to, to today and think about where's our Caesarea Philippi. If we're thinking about the kind of place where it's hard to make a stand and to declare what you believe, what does that look like for us? Where do we look around and see other gods being worshipped? Well, maybe it's at school or, or college or, or, or university with, with people literally worshipping other gods whether from different religions or, or maybe they're agnostic or atheist or maybe they think that actually they're their own god and they can decide how they want to live. They essentially worship themselves. But maybe it's more subtle than that. Maybe it's at, at work or, or in our neighbourhood with people who are, who are living for different things. They're living for money. They're living for success and for popularity. I mean, that is, at the end of the day, that is their gods, isn't it? The god of money, of, of success. Let's bring it even closer to home and where it starts to get painful. What about us? What, what about the shrines that we may have made in our own hearts? The things that, that we rely on for security. I mean, that's what those old gods were. They've, it's just the Romans made, a, made them out of stone or out of, out of wood. But at the end of the day, they were, they were fertility or they were for success or they were for, for prospering. They just gave them names where we don't give them names. And how they treated them is maybe not so different to how we treat them. I mean, if you were to sacrifice to the gods in the old age that you would get a good harvest, that would cost you, and you hope that the god would come through for you and give you a good harvest. We may not think it's, it's, it's pagan worship, but why not sacrifice your integrity at work so that you get a good pension? Is it so different at the end of the day what we're doing? What I mean to say is we're not so far removed from the temptations to downplay what we believe as the disciples were living in that that obviously pagan world. You see, we too live in a world of shrines and idols of endless possibilities. Of endless possibilities. But what I want you to see, it's into this world of shrines and idols, just like ours, that Jesus asked his first question. And look at the end of verse 13 into verse 14 and see what he says. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now before Jesus gets to the question and asks them straight out, who they say he is, he starts, doesn't he, by asking a more general question. Who do people say that I am? It doesn't sound too uncomfortable at that stage. Who do people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man. That term, Son of Man, is is Jesus' most frequent way of talking about himself. He's using the name that is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy about God's special king who would come to rescue his people. He's talking about himself. So Jesus says, who do people think that I am? Now, no doubt, on on the road following Jesus, the disciples have heard it all, haven't they? As they follow Jesus around, they've heard those whispers in the crowd, people shouting out, all with different ideas of who they think Jesus is. So they tell him. They start and they keep on going. Well, some people think you're John the Baptist. I mean, that's certainly what 
Herod thought, we saw that a few weeks ago in Matthew's Gospel. He was paranoid that, that after he had John the Baptist killed, that he'd come back to haunt him. Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And some other people think that he was one of the prophets from the Old Testament, like Elijah and Jeremiah. But the, but the thread that ties all of those answers together, and what we should see in all those answers, is that actually people at least partly can see that Jesus is the real deal. They, they see that there's, there's something about him that, that, is, that is authentic. That like the prophets of old, he is delivering messages from God. They at least know that much. I mean, that's what a prophet does. They deliver the message of God to his people. And actually, I think that definition, that kind of vague definition of a prophet, is, is probably still popular today, isn't it? I don't know if, if you've ever heard that from people's lips, but lots of people today believe that Jesus may have been someone sent by God, or with words of kind of truth and wisdom. Or if, you, if, you, if you quiz a, a Muslim on what they believe about, about Jesus, that's the answer they will give you. They will actually say he's one of their greatest prophets, but nothing more. It stops at that. But actually, that definition falls short, doesn't it? It certainly falls short of the, of the creed that we started this service with and affirmed about who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is not only a prophet, a, a good man sent from God. Lots of people believe that, but that is not true. And the Pharisees, Jesus' enemies, knew that Jesus wasn't teaching that. So even the people who opposed Jesus knew that that wasn't what he was teaching. You see, they wanted to kill him because he claimed to be God. A blasphemous statement, unless it was true. There are lots of ideas about who Jesus is, as there was then. But only one can be right. I hope we can see that. Only one can be right. C.S. Lewis, the, the author of, of, of Narnia, of the Narnia books, talks about this dilemma. It's, it's famously called the, the trilemma, because there's, there's three options. That Jesus is either one of three things. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's either Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's either a liar, he's either making it all up. None of it is real. Or he's a lunatic, he's, he's deranged, he believes what is false about himself. Or he is who he says he is. Which one? Which one is right? But like with any dilemma, or that, that trilemma, like with any dilemma, there reaches the stage, as we saw with those other decisions, that you have to make a decision, don't you? You can't just leave it unanswered forever. You need to make a decision. And this is one I want to spend a bit more time on. Look down in verse 15 uh, in the passage. Jesus says, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus' words cut through all the different ideas people have and then points the finger at us, at you, at me. Who do you say that I am? What Jesus wants to establish is have the disciples got it yet? Have they understood who he is? 
Now, this is not just for, for Jesus just to find out, a bit of a progress report to see how the disciples are doing. This is deadly important. And think about why. It's because who you say someone is shows the world what relationship you have with them. Let me repeat that. Who you say someone is shows the world what relationship you have with them. For example, if you were to ask me who Claire Gage is, uh, I could tell you that, well, she's the mother of Ben and Sammy. Uh, She lives in in Hove. She has brown hair and she likes swimming. But unless I tell you that she is my wife, you would have no clue that I had any sort of relationship with her. Otherwise, I'd just be knowing things about her, but not actually knowing her, not actually demonstrating that I had any sort of relationship with her. And it's the same with Jesus. That's why marriage is is the pointer to our relationship with Jesus. With Jesus, he doesn't only want us knowing things about him. He wants us to know him, to know him relationally, intimately, like a, like a married couple who know each other. Who do you say that I am? And the answer shows our heart's attitude to him, shows what our relationship is to Jesus. What Jesus is doing here brings us to a point of decision making. It means that we can no longer hide behind other people's ideas about Jesus. If it was just the question of what do other people say about who I am, fair enough. You could, you could chip in with different ideas. But he says, no, who do you say that I am? We can't hide behind other people's ideas of who Jesus is anymore. We need to have the answer clear in our own heads who he is. Now, you may be new to to BH, maybe new to church. Uh, You may have even been here for a long time. But let me ask you, and please be honest with yourself, do you have a clear idea in your head who Jesus is? Do you have a clear idea who Jesus is? If not, what is it that you need to know? What, what is the next stage to finding out more about who he is? Or what is stopping you from making that decision today? This is the most important decision in your life. Please, don't let it go unanswered any longer. Please decide. And if you have decided... Like we're going to see what, what, what Peter affirms about who Jesus is, like we've decided and said in the creed already today and been singing about in our songs, that's great. But let me push you a bit further. Do you say it? Do you say it? Notice Jesus says, who do you say I am? Not who do you think I am? We may think something about Jesus. We may even think something about Jesus that is true, but he doesn't ask us that. In one sense, he's not interested in what the disciples think about him. They're interested in what they say about him. Are you disciples? Are you people here today bold enough to say it? If someone asks you tomorrow at work or in the park, who is Jesus? Would you be prepared, as as Peter speaks in, in, in a letter later on in the Bible, would you be prepared 
to give an account for the hope that is in you? Would you be prepared to say who Jesus is when asked? Or even use an opportunity unasked? What is the truth about Jesus then? If we want to decide on something, we need to know what the truth is. What decision does God want us to come to today and decide about? Well, let's read verse 16 and see. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Only one decision can be the right one. And Simon Peter's just said it out loud. Despite all of those shrines around them, the worship of other pagan gods, despite all the different ideas that people have about Jesus, Peter gets it, doesn't he? He gets it. He has hit the nail on the head. He's answered correctly. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just another way to God. He's not just a good man. He is not just a myth, something made up. Jesus is the Messiah. The Son of God. He's got it right. But are those the sort of words that that we would come out if someone asked us? Would we be bold enough or would we be ashamed? Would we say them full of conviction, with passion on our lips? This is true. This is who he is. This is the truth. But maybe you're not quite there yet. Maybe you you like the sound of that, but you're not quite sure how you can be that confident, that passionate, and declare that as something true. How can we know this? I mean, maybe we need a bit more evidence. Maybe we need more evidence. I often have heard people saying, well, you know, if God would just come down and show himself to me or write write my name in the cloud, well, then I would believe in him. But what is remarkable, though, as you read through the Gospels, the the accounts of Jesus' life, these first-hand accounts, is not how people believed in who Jesus was because of the evidence. It's not like they saw the evidence and go, that's it, right now I believe in who Jesus is. But what's amazing as you read through the Gospels is how the opposite is often true. That how, How often they disbelieved who Jesus was, even with the evidence. You see, evidence is no guarantee that people will come to realise who Jesus is. And the most astounding of all of those times is when Jesus came back to life after he had died. He shows himself to the disciples before he's about to go up into heaven. And the Bible is amazingly frank and honest. It says, but some doubted. Isn't that incredible? That even that evidence of seeing Jesus dead and then come back to life is still not enough. You see, there's a problem here, isn't there? Bigger than evidence alone. Look at verse 17. It gives us a clue. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. What Jesus is saying is that without God's help, we are unable to see who Jesus really is. You can have all the evidence in the world, but without God's help, we are unable to see who Jesus really is. For us to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, God's promised saviour, and that he is the only, the one and only son of God. For us to get to that point requires a miracle in our life. 
a miracle. The miracle, as Peter had there, of new sight. Not flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You see, people can stand up here in in the pulpit and, and preach to you Sunday after Sunday, telling you about Jesus. But I or Phil or whoever's preaching to you do not have the power to open your eyes and to show you who Jesus is. We don't. Even the greatest preachers of history cannot open anyone's eyes. But only God can. It is a miracle. Only by allowing God to open your eyes will you see this wonderful truth. I encourage you to to pray that as a prayer, either now or later for yourself. But, But do it if you're not sure. Or even if you think that you are sure, you know who Jesus is. Pray, God, please open my eyes to see who Jesus is. God, please open my eyes to see who Jesus is. Are you willing to do that? Maybe, maybe later during the prayers when, when Chris comes to lead the prayers. Or maybe later on at home on your own. God, please open my eyes to see who Jesus is. It is that important. You see, when God opens your eyes to see who Jesus is, it is like opening the door into a whole new world, into his kingdom. Into his kingdom that he is building with a, with a solid foundation. A solid foundation. Look at the beginning of uh, verse 18. Jesus says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, Jesus isn't talking about making a church building like this one made out of brick or stone or wood. He is talking about building a community of believers who have had their eyes open to the same truth that Peter has been shown, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And actually, there's, there's a bit of wordplay going on here that's caused all sorts of confusion down the years. Um, and, and that is, the, the wordplay go, going on in this verse is that actually Peter, and if there's any Peters here, I'm sure you'll know what your name means, Peter means rock. So there's a bit of wordplay that, that Jesus is doing here. And, and basically what he's saying, do you know what, Peter? You're named well, actually. You're named well. What you have just said is rock solid and true. And I will use that truthful statement and you and these disciples here to change the world. It's not that Peter is the only one to be involved. You can read through the book of Acts and see how all the disciples and others are used to to be involved with the work of building God's kingdom. But it's on what Peter has said and on this, this group of people surrounded by all these shrines that Jesus will build his church, his new community, that he will do it. You see, we don't build God's church for him. We may sometimes think we do, but that's not true. God does. But it's part of his wonderful plan and his grace and just what God is like to use people like Peter and use people like you and me to make it happen. And this church that that Christ is building continues to grow. From them surrounded by those shrines 
out all the way across the world with people from different languages and different races coming to know that truth and having their eyes open. But what about when the the, the disciples encounter opposition? I mean, this sounds great, doesn't it? Yes, you will build your church, Lord. But what about when they encounter opposition and it gets violent? What about when numbers of them will get persecuted or killed? What about in 2017 in places like North Korea or Afghanistan or or Iraq or Somalia or lots of other places around the world where it is incredibly costly to come to that decision about Jesus? Well, look at the end of verse 18. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of Hades, the gates of, of hell, the gates of death What that means is that those who have accepted this good news into their life, have had their eyes opened by God, will be safe in the next. Jesus says that that even death won't be able to defeat his church. Death and the powers of evil won't stop this message and take away those who have decided to follow Jesus. And it continues on into verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this means a few different things. But one of the things it means is that these chains, the things that people are chained to in this life, chained to to sin and fear and death and not having hope, that the disciples have been given those keys, that they can proclaim that, that good news, that they can be freed from those things. Not only in this life, but in the life to come and for eternity. Set free in this life, set free in heaven. Jesus is still the one building his church, but he's going to get these people and he's going to get us involved. He's going to give us the keys to do the work alongside him. This is the power of Jesus to build his church and use us in the process to tell others who he is. So the way that Peter and the other disciples and Christians in North Korea or Iraq can have the courage to proclaim who Jesus is is because whatever they face, even death, it can't be taken away from them. It can't be taken away. Jesus, who he is, their relationship with him cannot be taken away from them, even if they die. Paul later writes in in Romans 8, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But at this point in Matthew's Gospel, verse 20 tells us that the disciples still need to know some more. They still need to find out some more about who Jesus is and what this plan involves. How he can make all this possible. There's still a lot of stuff they haven't got clear in their heads. And if you still need to know more before making a decision 
about who Jesus is. Well, come and speak to me or to Matt or someone else who you came with this morning. We'd love to to hear your feedback and, and chat more and support you on this journey to seeing who Jesus is and making that own decision for yourself because it's so important. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we acknowledge that uh, none of us has a claim on knowing who you are that's, that's built on uh, our own knowledge or from anything that, that just people have told us, but actually that on our own we're blinded to who you are. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace that you have chosen to, to open our eyes to show us who Jesus is. And that is so important that we know that. Lord, I want to pray for people who are, are struggling to make that decision or they're not sure whether they've made that decision. Lord, I pray that you would help them to come to a place. Lord, please open their eyes and maybe today would be the day that they would decide that, yes, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God and I want to live my life for you. Lord, please help them and please help us as a church to love and support them as well. In Jesus' name, amen.